Well, good morning. Last couple of weeks, I've had a few, uh, not all that uncommon, but just kind of some relevant uh, interactions with uh, electricity. The good news is I'm still alive and I didn't get shocked, okay? Um, the first one came several weeks back when one of those storms came through, and like many of you, uh, we lost our power. In fact, we lost our power for uh, about 24 hours, and Yost Road is not high on the priority list, uh, and some of you live in locations like that. And so um, the electricity went out, and uh, thankful for my uh, mother who... Uh, years ago when Ike came through and we were without electricity for like eight days, uh, Grandma said, uh, you're going to get a generator uh, to at least plug in some things to keep you and the grandkids happy. And I said, thank you, Mommy. And so <laughs> Mom gave me a check and we went and bought a generator. And so we pulled that out, plugged the generator in, and um, it's not the nice kind that you get to hook to the electricity and you don't even know the power's out. Uh, maybe someday. But... Um, but it's the kind where you, you, know, you put gasoline in, you pull it up outside your house. And uh, so we were able to plug in the refrigerator. We were able to plug in the freezer in the basement and um, a fan. Uh, we got a window air AC, so we got to plug that in. A lamp when it was dark, all that kind of stuff. Well, one of the things, and it happens to all of us whenever we lose those comforts of daily life, is uh, we begin to appreciate those comforts that we take for granted. And uh, we, in fact, were in the middle of um, uh, freezing corn. So there was corn everywhere and uh, for about 24 hours, believe it or not. And so one of the things that happens during that time is we have these things running everywhere. They're coming in the side door, down through the kitchen, down to the basement, one to the fridge in the kitchen. And it, it's a reminder to me of a concept that I want us to think about today a little bit, and that's appreciation. You know, when you, you have to run these through your house to only get part of, of things running, is you have a new appreciation on just walking in the room and flipping the switch, uh, or just turning the switch on the, uh, the lamp and it comes on. Because you start tripping over these things and it, it just makes everything a bit more cumbersome. Well, the second circumstance or situation came, and it's actually been one that uh, we've been kind of dealing with for a while. We have a ceiling fan with uh, a light fixture on the bottom, like many of you do, and it sits over our kitchen table. Well, months ago, I can't even tell you when, uh, one of the bulbs went out. And uh, so we were trying to find a bulb to match the other three bulbs. Ever had to do that? And so we're looking. It's got the small base, all these kind of things. Well, one night we were sitting and having dinner, and, and with summer passing and, and it getting darker sooner, we're sitting there, and, and it was very dark over my plate, okay? I'm just telling you. It didn't stop me. But I'm like, it's dark in here. Well, it, that was the bulb. And I'm like, okay, we got to get this fixed. So Susan had been looking, but we hadn't found any. So we were at a store a few days later, and they had all of these kind of bulbs, bulbs. So we're looking through, and we still couldn't find a match. And I'm like, that's it. We're buying four new ones because we would need to have light. So I got the bulbs, I think the next day. I get home, get up on the chair uh, above the kitchen table, and I decide to go ahead. I'll just put this first one in um, to the empty socket. So you all are like, what's going to happen? So I, I, I put it in, and it blew. I'm like, dang it. And so I looked, and what I noticed right away is that the other three bulbs were out. I thought, okay, that's kind of weird, because then I noticed that 
the rest of the electricity in the, in the kitchen and the rest of the house was still on. So I thought, hmm, that's weird. So I pulled the bulb out, thought, well, maybe it's just a faulty bulb. Pulled it out, went over to the switch, flipped the switch off, flipped it back on. The other three bulbs came back on. So, okay. Well, instead of diagnosing at that point, I, as a lot of us men do, I'm going to try it again. And so um, grabbed another bulb, went right back up there, screwed it in, pew, same thing again. What it taught me was that I was trying to put too big of a bulb in a socket. You know those annoying stickers that come on every fixture that you ever... In fact, there's somebody on these lights, and you got to peel them off because they're ugly and everything. What they say on them actually do mean something. Do not use a bulb greater than this wattage. Well, those stickers have long been gone off of that light fixture, but what I realized is that I was using too powerful of bulbs for what the fixture was made for. And it, it reminded me and taught me how we have to respect wattage and power and appreciate and understand that if we don't respect it, a couple things could happen when it comes to electricity. One thing is, is you're going to blow some bulbs. Next thing is, you could get electrocuted when you're messing with it. Third thing is, you could trip a breaker. Or even worse, you could start a fire because of the amount of current. There's something to be said not only about appreciating electricity, but also respecting it and understanding that it can be very dangerous if you don't understand how powerful it can be. Now, what in the world does this have to do with Esther, you might ask? It does. It has to do a lot. We're in the book of Esther today, and Esther has a pervasive theme through it. And the theme is power and wealth. It involves King Xerxes and a couple of his high officials. And what we see in this story is how power is not only abused, but in some cases how this power is um, used for good. Ezra that we talked about last week and Nehemiah, which will be coming next week, are both stories about the Israelites once they had returned from Babylon, Persia, back into Jerusalem. Well, this story, the story of Esther, is planted here between them in this time in history, and it's to teach us about what the time was like for the Israelites that chose to stay in Babylon and Persia. We're not really sure what all surrounds it, why they chose to stay. But what we do see is that more than ever, power became important in their life. I'd like us to think a little bit today as we look at a few characters is why power is so important for us as Christians. Now, some of you might wonder if we should even be talking about power because power can be a very corporate, a very uh, human, a very um, uh, unethical thing in this world. That's why power is confused with, by a lot of people. Power is a confusing thing to understand. There's all kinds of types of power. There's relational power, blah, 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 all kinds, coercive power, all kinds of things. But here's what I want us to think about power today. Power is simply the ability to direct or influence people, influence behavior. And it's also to get things to happen, to make things happen. That's one way that power is used. Now, some of you may be sitting there saying, you know what, I don't have any power. Just ask all my family. <laughs> I don't have any power. Yeah, you do. 
while we may want to try to run for it, or we may think that we're not some high public figure or some sports star or some celebrity, we may think that what we have in terms of power really isn't much, and it's not even much to talk about. It's a lot to talk about, because every one of us, dads, you have power within your family because of the role God has given you as a father. Mother, it's the same things for, for you. Uh, students, you have influence among the, the people, the other kids that you go to school with. Even though you don't feel like you do, all of us are exposed to a certain amount of power. The question is, is what are we going to do with that? And what we see in the story today, two problems come up. And I think these are two problems that uh, not, all of, not only all of culture deal with, but also the church, the body of Christ deals with. And the first one is this. The first problem is that some people, when they are exposed to power, all they do is go after more. Because power feeds on a lot of not-so-good things in us, a lot of weaknesses. And when we get exposed to it, sometimes not only fear, our desire to control things, our insecurities cause us to try to get more. And we'll see examples of that today. But the second part, I believe, is as sinful. Even though we often look at the first one, I think the second one is as sinful. And that's when we are positioned or given power in a certain place at a certain time with certain people, may not be a big group, but yet we ignore it. We ignore the ability and the opportunity and the responsibility to let God use that power in our lives to fulfill his mission, and his purposes. So let's take a look. And I want us to think about maybe where we fall in either one of these. The first, as we look at, has to do with power that is taken. Any power that is sought after, that is gone after, has a very high potential of being corrupt. It has the potential of going bad really quick. There are two examples in the story of Esther. If you will flip to chapter 1, this will also be on the screen. King Xerxes had a lot of power. He was the king over Persia at this time. It says in verse 10, On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits, in other words, he's drunk, from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, and then their names, to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. So here's the setting. This is a king, has the power like any king, and we know kings at this time. We know what they wanted. They wanted anything they wanted. And they abused that all the time. They took for granted and didn't recognize the dangers of what power could do to them and to others. And so it was all very selfish. And so in a drunken stupor, he says, bring that woman, the queen, out here, and I want her to parade in front of us. Well, if you know the story is Vashti refused out of decency because he simply, with him and his buddies, wanted to watch her dance around and look at her as an object. And she said no. You see, Xerxes was trying to abuse his power to not only take advantage of Queen Vashti, but simply to satisfy his own desires. 
Now, some abuses of power aren't that blatant, but what we see in King Xerxes is that he did not have very many boundaries when it came to power. He didn't have much respect for any power. Because what happens in the story is he is tricked into writing an edict or a command or a law. And what that command said was that all the Jews were to be killed, those who still lived in that area of Persia. But he was tricked into it. He just didn't decide one day, I'll get up and I'll do this. No, he was tricked. But because he didn't respect and, and understand the power, he abused it. It blew up. Because what he looked back upon is realized that he would have never written an edict like that. And what he also didn't know is that the new queen, Queen Esther, was Jewish. So he found himself in a predicament, and it was all because of a man named Haman. If you look in chapter 3, this one's also on the screen, is another example of power that is being taken and consumed. I don't know in this part of Scripture if there is a more vivid example of a man who is eaten up by power. It says in verses 1 and 2, and then verses 5 and 6, after these events King Xerxes honored Haman, some son of Hamandatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. You see, Haman had done something good for the kingdom, for the king. And so he had a little taste of power, and it went to his head. And so what he wanted, because he was selfish and because he was arrogant and he was prideful, and he didn't appreciate where it came from, he wanted more. Verse 2, all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay, pray. Excuse me. When Haman, verse 5, saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. You see, power had gotten to his head, and it was no longer good enough to punish the just one man who wouldn't bow to him. He was going to take out his entire people, the Jewish people. That's what power does, is that when it gets a hold of you, it can take many people, many innocent people down. This threatening turn, suddenly realized by King Xerxes, put him in a pretty difficult spot. I imagine at that point, King Xerxes had a whole new appreciation of the power, powerful position he sat in and realized that he had, be, had abused it. You see, the remaining events in the life of Haman are a vivid picture of a, of a man who was consumed. It was so bad that thousands of people could bow to him, but if one person would not, he wasn't satisfied. And so, I'll kill them all, he said. Hatred, bitterness, envy... It all fed his desire for more and more power. And he abused it. 
Frank Herbert said, the power, that power attracts the corruptible, suspect all who seek it. Are you a person who wants more power, who wants more influence? You probably are, because most of us are. But the question is, is what do you do with it when you have it? And whose credit does that go to? And who is responsible for that, giving it to you? You see, the motivation for people who continue to take power and try to get more power typically is selfish, and it typically pushes and tears down everybody around them. I remember a guy that I worked for when I worked for the contractor in Dayton, and he, I had been on staff a while. He came in, and he was in charge of all the superintendents on all the single-family building sites, and he came in, and it was evident from day one that he wanted all the power. Now, I kind of worked with him, but he wasn't technically my boss, praise the Lord. But you could tell it. Every move, every, every decision he made was all about making sure everybody knew that he had power. And he did have some. But it ate him up. He was out of that job within a little bit of time. Power can feed our greatest weaknesses. It can take the things that God intends for good and it can drive it in a very, very dangerous direction because we don't respect it. But the other side of this is what we see in two other characters in this story, and it's Mordecai and Esther. And it deals with this other problem we talked about, the problem of power that has been given willingly to somebody and then not using it. I know that still feels a little weird in Christian world because we often think about the people that have abused it. I'd love to stand here to say that no preacher, no evangelist, no missionary has ever been gotten caught by power, and we know that's not true. Some of the most faithful, God-fearing men and women who started their ministry all focused on God have gotten pulled away, have gotten consumed by wealth and money. And the examples litter the landscape of how they came to a bitter fall. No one is exempt. So just like you have the ability to have influence and power, you also are susceptible as much as anybody else to letting that power go to your head. Which is why this is so crucial for us as a church to think about. Why as Christ followers, we should respect the responsibility that comes with power. But when power is willingly given, there's an appreciation that comes. It's almost like, well, I didn't expect to be here. I didn't even necessarily want to be here. We see this first in Mordecai. Look with me in chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers were, who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. That time, men, likely officials like Mordecai, hung out at the gate. That's where law and business took place. And so there, he heard and saw a lot of things. But he was paying attention. And just as easily as these other two officials, Mordecai could have been a part of the plot. I'm sure in Mordecai's mind, he thought, well, if I'm a part of this and help with assassination, maybe my rank will move up. But see, 
Mordecai saw power very differently. He appreciated the fact that he was in a spot where God had given him some influence. And what did he do with it? He sought to build up people. He sought it for God's good. And so he shared with the new queen, Queen Esther, what was going on. And he got credit for it, even though that's not what he was doing. He was wanting to save the king. Look in verse 12 of chapter 4 of Esther. Mordecai's story continues. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape, he says to Esther. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. We'll look at King, or Queen Esther's response in a minute. But here we have a man in Mordecai who is given some influence and some power as an official. And what he seeks to do is help others to build up as well. Queen Esther had the opportunity to go before the king. But she knew, as all people knew at that time, you don't just walk into the king's chambers. You must be invited. Even the queen had to be invited. And so the fact that she was going to go and make queen, uh, the king aware of Haman's plot to kill all the Jews, he could have very easily killed her because it was a sign of disrespect just to walk in and begin speaking without permission. And so Mordecai sees the opportunity and sees the influence that Esther has had. And like in my life, and I'm sure in many of your lives, one of those people that aren't afraid to get in your face. Not because they have their own agenda, but because they see that you have been placed in a position of influence and a placement of making an impact for life-giving purposes. And so Mordecai says, you have to do this. You cannot back out from this. God has placed you in a position for such a time as this. Be that to people. Sometimes the power is not something that God has given you in a particular time and place, but you look around. There are people that all of you know that God has placed uniquely. And no, it may not be thousands of people. It may be one. But one can make a difference. One made a difference here. This saved the lives of thousands, if not millions of Jews at the time in history that this took place. Be that to people. It may not be your time and your place, but your time and place will come. I don't know when, I don't know how. God does, and that's all that matters. Mordecai used this influence to encourage Esther. So look at the next two verses, and we see Esther's response in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4. Again, remembering that power was given. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now I know the likelihood of us having to put our lives on the line may seem rather um, far and distant. It may not be. 
The point is, is you may be giving, given an opportunity when power is given to you that it is like life and death to you because it requires courage, because it requires you to do what is not what everybody else would do as the song so fitfully put before us. Esther was willing to lay down her life for her people. Sounds like somebody else we know, doesn't it? Sometimes I hear Christians say, well, I would never have that great of an opportunity to lay down my life. You have an opportunity every day to, to help people understand and know who Jesus Christ is. That's life-changing. That is life-giving. It may not be your life, but it may be somebody else's life. At this moment, Esther had a crisis of belief. She had to decide, am I going to step up? Am I going to take this moment and allow the power that God has given me and use it for His purposes and His good? There's a quote from a Harry Potter book, of all places, by J.K. Rowling, but it's actually pretty significant. Perhaps those who are best suited to power are those who have never sought it. Those who have leadership thrust upon them and take up the mantle because they must and find to their own surprise that they wear it well. There are points, I believe, in every one of our lives, no matter how great it looks or how small and insignificant it looks, where God has placed you for such a time. And what I hope and I pray that what we learn is that, first of all, we've appreciated what power can do. We've appreciated that any power that's worth anything comes from God. And secondly, that we respect the responsibility. Sometimes we don't feel called, but God is calling us. Sometimes we don't feel comfortable, and it's too much work, but it's still what we are to do. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. People who believe that they are puny Christians that have no significance and no impact because they're not preaching to people on a Sunday morning or they don't have an audience of 3,000 people to think that you don't have a, a way, a time, and a place and resources to equip yourself is sinful. I don't know how else to say it. God will never put you in a place that He has not equipped you for. Are you going to be scared? Yes, I guarantee it. Are you going to wonder, can I do it? Yes, you will. But if you do one thing, God will walk through that moment with you. And that one thing is demonstrated in this story of a man named J. Wilbur Chapman. Does anybody know that name, J. Wilbur Chapman? He actually was born and raised not too far from here in the 1800s. Richmond, Indiana, he was born. He was an evangelist and he was a preacher. At the age of 17, he was called in the ministry. And he went and he served in a church in Liberty, Indiana for several years. This guy wrote, I didn't count how many books. There's probably 20, 30 books that this guy has written on God and what it means to follow Jesus. And then he went over to College Quarter, Indiana, or Ohio, I don't remember, and served as a pastor there. Well, then he went on to write great hymns like, 
our great Savior, which we've sung here multiple times. I had to look it up because I didn't remember what it was, but it was familiar to me. But this man, who had become world-renowned in his ability to preach the gospel, was in London, and he had the opportunity to meet General Booth, General William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, its first general. And uh, General Booth was well over 80, and he had an opportunity to sit with him. Dr. Chapman says, I listened reverently to everything he had to say, just soaking it in, looking at and thinking about the conflicts and the victories that General Booth had had in the Salvation Army. And so then Dr. Chapman had an opportunity, and he said, I have to ask you a question. What is the secret for your success? Dr. Chapman said he hesitated for a moment. And he said, I began, before he ever said a word, I saw the tears running down his face. General Booth said, I'll tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, he said, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. The secret was this. Dr. Chapman walked away from that time with General Booth, and he said, I came away knowing that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. That's what we have to be as Christ followers. Not people to say, oh, now, now I can scream at somebody about who Jesus is because I have, I have people in front of me. No. You can walk humbly. You can preach the gospel with words, but more importantly with actions. But you surrender the appreciation and the respect that you have for power that is given to you, you will change the world. Right here, from Eaton, Ohio, you will change the world. And it doesn't have to do with the amount of people. You may impact one life because you saw the opportunity that God had given to you. And you saw it as a gift. You see, whenever we're given power, it is a gift. The first thing we should always do when we recognize that we've been given a place, a position, an audience in front of people is that we should always, always give credit to God. So what does that look like in your life? Dads, you commit your role to be a father to God. Moms, you do the same thing. You're a boss in an office. You commit that to God. You surrender that. You don't try to go in, no matter how educated, how skilled, how much you know about your area of expertise, you commit that. I know there's teachers in this congregation, and they consistently and constantly lift their students up in prayer, and themselves as well. Keep at it. It all has to be committed to Him, because then we will understand what Acts 1-8 really means. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So you've probably been looking at this and saying, okay, what's this all about? What's he up to now? I love piquing your curiosity. And I know it would drive some of you nuts if I never did anything with it, even though that could be kind of fun. 
Appreciation. Appreciating the power that God has given us. But he's also given us opportunities. Opportunities and responsibilities. And I pray that we would not be people that would be in the way of that. That we would be people that would constantly say to God, God, help me to see what I need to see today. Help me if I am placed in a position of power and influence that there was nothing in me that will get in the way. And that means we have to pray that God will convict us of that. I know that's not fun. Sometimes you feel like you've got enough people in your life telling you what's wrong. You don't need God on top of it, do you? Don't listen to them. Listen to God. Start there. But we have opportunities. And this is, again, where I think the church sometimes underestimates itself. Is you underestimate the opportunities God gives you every day that aren't dramatic. Uh, TMZ is not covering it with all the latest reporters. You're not walking the red carpets. Who cares? Because you are placed in much more important positions than those could ever be. There was a man who laid his life down and he poured himself out. His name was Jesus Christ. That's our model, isn't he? That's our model. That's what we should do every day and not get in the way. But when you have an appreciation and then you have an ability to show respect for the power that's been given to you and the responsibility, you become this fixture. Never thought of yourself as a light fixture before, have you? See, you're a vessel. You're a tool, you're an instrument. Not because God is some puppeteer who's trying to do everything. No, because you have a willing choice to be this, and you can get in the way of that. But you also have the opportunity to appreciate and respect all that power has in this world. And when you do that, something amazing happens when you surrender that to God. Your light shines. Yeah, I know it's cheesy. One lady in the first service said, the only thing I have to critique you is that light was blinding me. And I said, good. She's like, no, seriously, I was getting a headache. I'm like, sorry. It'll stick with her now, won't it? Isn't that the point? We will never be that if we don't surrender. Like Esther, like Mordecai. Seek God's leading in everything you do. Matthew 15 says this, In the same way let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God is constantly looking for people that will be an instrument, that will be a vessel and a fixture. You may never get any acclaim in this world for that. Don't worry about it. Because if you're you're wanting the acclaim, then you're looking for power. No, just take whatever's given to you. Seek it in terms of seeking God and surrender it all back to Him. And when you do that, you'll be amazed at some of the most common and simplest, ordinary, unspectacular ways God is going to use you. That's where God moves. We talked about that last week. Be people that are ready to do that. But recognize that it's all by God's grace. You're not going to earn it, so stop trying. But recognize that His grace will allow you to be a light. And a lot of places in this world, that light's going to be a lot brighter than it is in here because there's a lot of places that are a whole lot darker. That's the church. That's you. 
So let's be that. Let's be that, constantly surrendering to him. Father, as we worship this morning and close, Father, I pray that you would, in our seats at the altar, wherever it may be, God, remind us, bring conviction if needed, that we are to be instruments. We are to be light fixtures that shine with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, sometimes we make it so difficult. Sometimes we feel like we've got to have all these other things when all we really need is you. Your grace is enough. Father, teach us. Help us to live that out starting the moment we walk out of our seat and out of this building into our workplaces, our homes, our neighborhoods, the marketplace. And recognize that it may start with something as simple as a smile or helping someone in need. Help us to be that light because we appreciate and we respect the responsibility of power that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.